0: Hey, good morning, everyone. All right, how many of you um, you like to hear a good story? All right, how many of you, when you talk to somebody and they share a story with you, there are two types of people and the different ways they share stories. There are those people that share stories that give you every single detail of that story, and you know, you know, when that person starts sharing that story. You're going to be there for a while, right? Right. And have you ever been that with your kids? You're like, okay, get to the point. And then there's some of you that you're the Reader's Digest. You just, just give me the main points, give me the main facts, and let's get this thing over with, right? And, and, and I'm kind of the, the Reader's Digest person. I like when someone tells me, go, okay, you, you know, you're just, you know, you, you know, they're telling you like, well, let's see, it was on um, Tuesday. No, maybe it was Wednesday. It was at 2 o'clock. No, it was, I'm like, oh, just what, what, what happened, right? Um, and what's interesting, as we're going through uh, the book of Mark, what's interesting about the book of Mark is the irrelevant details that Mark brings out in his book. Now, you may think to yourself, why does Mark uh, share with us in his gospel these irrelevant details? Details, here's here's the reason why I want you to understand this. The irrelevant details that Mark brings out in his Gospels, we're we're studying the book of of Mark and we're going chapter by chapter and and we're looking at the different stories and the different encounters that Jesus had with with people and, and how he changed their lives. What's interesting about these irrelevant details is this is the very thing that authenticates the book of Mark. And here's the reason why. Why would Mark add irrelevant details to the story, if the book itself, if the gospel of Mark were not true in Mark chapter four, what we're going to study today, we're told of a story of how Jesus calmed the storm on the sea of Galilee while he was in a boat with his disciples. And what is mentioned is Jesus is asleep. We're going to read this in just a minute. Jesus is asleep. And what Mark does is he says he's asleep On a cushion in the back of the boat, he tells what time of the day it was. And he says there are other boats with them. Now, what's interesting about this story is the very details of the story. Now, for many of us, we would read right through and not really bring much thought of it. But the detail of the cushion uh, doesn't really do anything to advance the story or to make a point. But what's interesting is Mark is not making this up. And so I want you to realize that when we read this story, this is a very thing that happened. Mark is not making this up. This authenticates that Mark is getting this firsthand from Peter. And Peter was there and remembers the detail of the event. And thus, we can really believe that the story happened. Now, if I were to title this message, I would title it this way. Jesus is still in the boat. Now let, let this right now you're thinking, okay, that's nice pastor. It's going to make a whole lot of sense at the end. So let, let, let's say this together. Cause you're going to every day this week, you're going to wake up and you're going to say this to yourself, Jesus, you're still in the boat. So let's, let's just get it. Let's start it off. Cause I want to get this right into your brain. Ready? Let's all say it on the count of three. We're going to say, Jesus is still in the boat. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus is still in the boat. One more time. Jesus is still in the boat okay you're not getting excited I can tell but you will get excited okay you're like okay this is great pastor thank you for knowing that Jesus is still in the boat okay let's read let's read Mark chapter 4 verse 35 got your Bibles turned there you can look at the screen let's see the account of what's going on here in and um And realizing that this was actual account that Peter witnessed, he was there. This is an amazing thing that happened on the Sea of Galilee this one day. And we're going to look at verses 35 through 41. We're going to look at Jesus calms the storm, starting in verse 35. I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. It says, starting in verse 35, it says, That day when evening came, He said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side and leaving the crowd behind. They took him along. And just as he was in the boat, there was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teachers, don't you care if we drowned? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet. Be still. And then the winds died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So what he's saying is they they were still terrified after he calmed the storm. Verse 41. And they were terrified even after the waves were calmed. And they were terrified. They asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Lord, I just pray this morning as we just dig into your word that we would realize that you are in control. That you are still in the boat even when our storms seem so mighty. Even when our circumstances seem so out of control. Even when our lives seem like, where is it going? Why do I feel so swamped? Why do I feel... That uh, I take two steps forward, just to just to take one step back. Lord, I pray this morning we would realize that you are still in the boat. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask these things. And all God's people said. And all God's people said, "Okay." How many of you can recall a time that you were in a very bad storm? Maybe it was maybe it was a thunderstorm. Uh, maybe. You know, up here we don't get too many uh, tornadoes. I remember living in South Carolina, actually going through a uh, tornado um, that just missed our church and just missed our house, went right between the two. And I can remember I was at church, Kathleen was at home, and I was trying to call her. And of course she wasn't answering the phone and, and it went right through our neighborhood and there's no basements there. There was no warning. It ripped through a Walmart and, it, you know, ripped through houses right through our neighborhood. It was pretty, pretty scary of them. But I can remember one storm, Uh, that I was in, it was March, 1997, or was it March, 1998? No, I just, I just wanted to see if you guys were, Uh, it was March, 1997, and I was coming back from England doing a setup trip for a missions trip that we're doing with our youth group that next coming June, and I was flying to Atlanta, and we were, um, we came in through, I I think, Newark, and then we had to fly back to, to Atlanta, and it was just a horrible storm. Horrible storm. In fact, they shut down the airport as we're in the air and they're saying, we might have to circle because there are tornadoes in the area. That makes you feel real good, doesn't it? And you're in the air and you're like circling over Atlanta where there's tornadoes and because we're trying to find a cleared spot to land in the storm and we're waiting he goes, okay, I think now we have a good time to land the plane. So we land the plane. I've got a layover and I've got to get to Charleston. So I'm there and there are storms all around. So um, we finally get on the, the small plane and um, we're going to to take off. And we've got this window of opportunity to take off. Well, this 50 minutes from going to Atlanta to Charleston was the most tense 50 minutes of my life. We were flying right through the storm. And uh, lightning actually hit the plane. Planes going all over the place. People are screaming. I'm in a fetal position, sucking my thumb, calling out for my mom. <laughs> right? I mean, it was just... It was crazy. It was just crazy. Finally, we, um, we get to Charleston, we, and we, and we land. And, and once we landed, of course, I felt much better because I was, I was out of that flying coffin. So I'm like, good, we're finally here. And some of you may have, may have had those experiences where just the storm and you had to live through it. And it was such a tense time of your life. And what happens is Mark here describes what happens with the disciples. He describes this furious squall that suddenly comes up. It's this great wind, it's this burst of wind that suddenly came up. Maybe it was a microburst, maybe it was hurricane force winds, uh, but the disciples, they're in the boat, and the, it's not a large boat. And in the midst of this raging storm, they're in the, they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, I, I want to make an educated guess here, but I, I don't think the boat was, was Coast Guard approved. I'm just taking a guess. Um, I don't think they were wearing life jackets. Okay, so I'm just taking a guess. This was a very perilous time and and their lives were at stake here. And and see, here's the thing I want you to realize. What makes storms uh, so dangerous uh, on the Sea of Galilee is for this reason. The Sea of Galilee actually sits 700 feet below sea level. And just 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon, which is the highest mountain area, which rises to 9,200 feet And so what happens is cold air from Mount Hermon collides with warm air rising from the Sea of Galilee, which creates these spectacular storms and creates spectacular weather. You have massive thunderstorms and wind can wreak havoc in a a moment. Now, they don't have radar, right? Right. They, they don't, they don't, they, they don't have Kevin Williams telling them. There's no report. There, there's nothing that came up on their phone that, to let them know that this storm is coming. This thing can come out of nowhere and, and they couldn't protect themselves from these things. So, so these guys are fishermen, right? They, they know the lake. They've been through storms. They know what the deal is. This must have been bad for them to be terrified. You know, see, when I'm on a plane, and there's bad weather. Or there's something going on with turbulence. I look at the flight attendants. If they're worried, I'm worried, right? Because they fly all the time. They've seen this stuff. They've flown through bad weather. They they know turbulence. So the first thing I'm doing is I'm not looking at the Yahoo sitting next to me, right? I'm looking at the flight attendant going, what are they doing? Are, are they buckled in? Are they in a fetal position crying back there? Then I'm nervous, right? Uh, so if they're good, I'm good. Right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. And so what happens is this, this storm must have been tremendous. And this storm was bad. And they thought they were going to die. And so they wake Jesus and ask him if he really cares. Because he's, he's, just, he's just sleeping. He's not worried about it. He's not worried about the storm. And, and I want you to see two amazing things happen next. Jesus gets up and he says, peace, be still, or quiet, be still basically tells the storm to chill out. So the wind stopped, the waves lay down, and the lake was like glass. Literally a dead calm came over that lake. Now, to man, the storm seems uncontrollable. It was beyond man's power. Great storms like hurricanes humble us because we can't control it. That's why we worry about it. We, we can't control these storms. These are beyond man's strength. And so Jesus at this point is not calling on a higher authority. He simply says, be still. And the storm calms down. Jesus has the power over the storm. Jesus doesn't just have power. Jesus is the power behind all other powers. Are you catching this? See, he wants the disciples to see this. He doesn't want their hearts to be fearful of the storm. He wants them to trust him to realize that he is the power behind the power. That he can calm that in just a moment, in any moment. And so if you look at the world through the lenses of maybe naturalistic creation, you will come to the conclusion in your life that you have to be here by accident. That, that, that you are here by the power of nature and its forces. Big bang. And when you die, you are no more. And at the end, it really doesn't matter what kind of person you were. You see, if Jesus has the power over the storm, then what he is saying, he is Lord of nature. That he is Lord over the nature. No matter how messed up this world is or how messy your life is, Jesus has the power to bring rest and to bring peace. And so what Jesus says is he says, peace be still. I am the Lord over this world. Now, what's interesting about this story? You would think that after Jesus calmed the storm, their fears would have ceased. They would, have been, they would have felt like their lives are now not in danger anymore. The sea is calm and you think their spirits would be calm and they would be fine. And whew, that was a close one. Thank you, Jesus, right? Thank you for doing that. We're, we're, we're good now. But that's not what happens. Mark tells us something in the story that they were terrified and filled with great fear even after the storm settled down. Now, this is interesting. Before they awoke Jesus, the boat is filling up with water. It's going down. They couldn't bail fast enough. And we've all gone through this in our life. It seems like it's falling apart, crashing down all around us. And we feel like God is silent and he's not there. And so the first thing we we say to ourselves is this. When we're going through a storm and we're going through a difficult thing in our life, the first thing we say to ourselves, God, do you really care? Do you care about my life? Hello? I'm here, God. Do you see what I'm going through? Do you not see it? Do you not understand? Do you not care? You see, that's exactly what's going on in this situation. Same thing. Disciples were thinking, if you really cared, you would not let us go through this. If you really cared, you wouldn't let us go through this storm. And see, Jesus' response is very interesting here. And I want you to catch this. Because Jesus' response was not sympathizing with their feelings, but asking them why they were afraid. He, he didn't go to them, oh, I know how you feel. Yeah, this is, this is a bad storm. Yeah. Ooh. <whistles> Big one. Big one on the Sea of Galilee. Ooh, I don't know if I've seen one like this before. Whoa, you guys are right. This is cool. Keep bailing. Keep getting the water out, right? Guys are doing great. Keep going. He didn't say that. He didn't sympathize with their feelings, but he asked them why they were afraid. You see, I know what my response would be. I would say this to Jesus. This is the reason why I'm afraid. This is the reason why I would say, Jesus, I would say, because we're going to die, right? We're going to die. And it seems like you don't care if we die. Jesus, we're going to die. What are you doing about it? Get off the cushion and help us now, please. Anything. Can I use your cushion as a flotation device, right? Right? That was probably the only thing that was Coast Guard approved at that moment, right? Um, You see, the issue is this. They were just as afraid after as they were before. They were just as afraid after as they were before. You see, they had no control over the storm and they realized they had less control over Jesus. Hmm. We just throw this out there and see if it sticks on anybody, all right? Is that what we're doing in our life sometimes when we're going through a difficult time? Are we trying to control Jesus, or are we trusting Jesus? You're saying Jesus, you need to, you need to act you, I'm calling on you, you need to act on my response, okay? We're dying here and you're not doing anything about it. And I think for that moment, the disciples realized they had less control over Jesus. And I want you to realize something here is that sometimes God allows us to go through the storms. He does. Now the question then remains, if he allows me to go through the storm, does that mean he doesn't care? See, because that's, that's, that's the issue. The issue is when we go through the storm, we usually begin to look at our lives and say, am I doing something wrong? God, don't you care? God, don't you see what I'm going through? And we begin to blame God. And then, and then God is saying, maybe I'm trying to teach you something so much deeper by allowing you to go through this storm and by allowing the disciples to go through the storm, what Jesus was going to do for the disciples is show them who he really was. That, that, that he's more than just someone that if you call on Jesus and he's going to do your bidding, like he's, he's, he's subservient to us that God, I'm only going to, you know, I'm only going to come to you when life gets rough. I'm only going to come to you when things aren't going my way. You know? Uh, and Jesus says, that's not the God I am. You see, in order for us to really understand Jesus, we, under, we need to understand that he is the Lord over nature. That he, is, he needs to be God in our lives every single day. We need to give him glory when things are going well and when things are going not so well. Amen. Right? You see, when things are going well in our lives, we're like, oh, praise God. Hallelujah. God is so good, isn't he? Bless God. Thank you, Jesus. Right? And then when things aren't going so well, it's a little harder to bless his name, isn't it? It's a little harder to give him thanks when we've got health issues or this or that. It's, it's hard. And I'm not saying it's not hard, but it's hard for us to give him glory. But, but it's the same God. It's the same God that when things are going well and things are not going so well, it's the same God in both of those circumstances. And he wants us to see him for who he really is. You see, sometimes God allows us to go through the storms, but there's a big difference here. You see, nature is indifferent. It doesn't care about the people that were in the boat, but Jesus loves us. Jesus did care. And we're going to see why he did care. You see, when we go through the storms of life, we can easily feel that God must not love me or not care for me because if he did, he would not allow me to go through this storm. And we can make the mistake by equating storms in our life with God not caring. And sometimes, and sometimes, he allows us to go through the hardships so that we can understand his love in a greater way, that we can experience his grace in a deeper way. God wanted to show the disciples Listen, this is who I am. Jesus wanted to show them I am the Lord over nature. That's why he didn't sympathize with their feelings. He calmed the storm right away to say, listen, this, this storm is not the problem. You see, we get so fixated on the storm that we forget about the God who has the power over the storm. Boy, that should have gotten amen. Are are you hearing me? We get so fixated on those things and our circumstances that we lose faith in the God who is over all those things. And he wants his disciples to say, peace, be still. I got this. Stop fixating your eyes on the storm and look to me, the one who is over the storm. The one who has the power over the storm. Now, what's interesting about this story is that it parallels the story of Jonah and the huge fish. Here's, here's, here's why these two stories parallel. So, if you remember the story in the book of Jonah, you have a storm, the boat's going under, right? Jonah's in the boat. Where's he? He's, he's sleeping, right? He, he's the only one who can help. He's, he's sleeping. And if you remember the story of Jonah, they threw him. He said, hey, guys, um, I know I'm running away from God here, but um, I'm the only one in this boat that can fix your problem. And being superstitious, as these sailors most likely were, he said, if you throw me overboard, your lives will be saved. If you throw me, if you throw me into the storm, right? you're, you're basically, your lives are going to be saved. And so what happens is he's thrown into the storm, boat, basically giving his life. He's going to die. He's going to throw, throw me over. The storm stops. And all of a sudden, this great fish swallows Jonah and then spews him up so that he can go to Nineveh. You know the rest of the story, that he can go to Nineveh and preach repentance and do what the Lord wants him to do. I want you to see something. Here. What's interesting about this story is that Jesus actually... Fulfills this Old Testament account. Here's why. Well, Jesus said. That one greater than Jonah is here. And Jonah is in the belly of the great fish. Was spoken by Jesus when he said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. So the son of man must be sent to the heart of the earth. Speaking of his death between his death and resurrection. And so the disciples at this point probably didn't have full understanding of all Jesus would do, or maybe his full identity, but it's different for us because it's different for us for this way, because we're looking back, we're looking back and we know what Christ did for us. And Jesus actually does this for us. Jonah had to face the storm for those sailors in order for their lives to be spared. Now, God did spare Jonah's life by having a fish swallow him up and then bring him to the place where he was supposed to be and go to the place where he's supposed to be preaching repentance. So Jonah faces the storm for those sailors. Here's how Jesus fulfills this great Old Testament story. Jesus would actually face our greatest storms and he would face storm that very death, and he would actually conquer it for you and I. So the reason why Jesus wanted them not to be fearful, the reason why he wasn't sympathetic with their feelings at that moment, he says, I want you to trust me because I'm the one that's going to face the storms for you. I'm going to face death for you. The very thing that will bring the most fear in anybody's heart is death. I didn't know this was a popular song, but I heard Loretta Lynn sing this the other day, and I didn't realize it was a written song. She covered it, but it's called uh, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, but Nobody Wants to Die. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. I think it's been out for a while. It's been remade. Great song. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to face death. And how many know that's inevitable for every single one of us in this room? See, what Jesus was doing is he says, listen, I'm going to face your biggest storm. And that's going to be death because sin separated you from God. And the wages of sin is death. And I want you to realize that I am the Lord over the storm. I'm going to face it for you. I'm going to calm the storm. I'm going to do everything for you that you cannot do for yourself. So Jesus would actually face our greatest storm. He would face death. He would conquer it for us. And at this point, the disciples do not really see all that Christ would eventually do for them. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Faith is trusting God, even when you don't see the outcome. Faith is trusting God, even when you don't see the outcome. And so this is what he wants them to see. This is what he wants us to understand. But at the end, but at the end, whatever the outcome Jesus will still be there. Jesus was still in the boat. In the midst of the storm, Jesus was still in the boat. He never bailed out. Because, you know, he could have gotten out of the boat and just walked on the water, right? You know that, right? He did it before. He could do it again. He could just walk out. See you guys. He stayed right in the boat with them. So even in the midst of your storm, I want you to realize, whatever you're going through today, that Jesus is still in the boat. He says, don't take your eyes off of me. Don't take your eyes off of me. You see, what gives ultimate peace is no matter what, Jesus will be there. And and this is how I want to wrap this up, and and I want us to take communion and just spend time in the Lord's presence. Um, This is what I love about the Old Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you remember this story, um, in Daniel chapter 3, you've got these three men that are brought in exile from Israel because of God's judgment upon Israel. So you've got these three men... And, and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're under Babylonian rule now, and Nebuchadnezzar's the ruler, and Nebuchadnezzar wants everyone to, to, to succumb to his power and his authority, and so on and so forth. And so, what Nebuchadnezzar does is, and we read this in Daniel chapter three, is he he builds this ninety-foot idol made out of gold. He builds this huge idol, and he wants all the people to bow down and at the word, they're all to bow down and worship this idol. And this is usurping his authority over them in this situation. But you've got Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and they're not going to bow because their only allegiance is to God. So they're not going to bow. So you've got all these people that are bowing and they know that if they don't bow, the result is they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. So there's huge consequences for not bowing. And so what you have is you've got all these people and they're bowed down. You've got this 90 foot idol and people are bowed down. And then all of a sudden in the crowd, you've got these three guys that are standing up and they're not bowing down. And they're like, hey, who, who, who are those? Wait a minute. There's three people. Who are they? And it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow. And I love what Daniel 3 says here. In verse 16 through 18, In Daniel chapter 3, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is how they answered the king. They said this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And if you read the rest of the story, he does. That's the neat outcome. There was another figure in there, a pre-carnate figure of Jesus actually in the furnace saving them. But this is before they know that. They're trusting God. They, They believe that God can save them. They said, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But then they answer it this way, which is interesting, in verse 18. And this is where faith comes in. It says, but if not, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Either way, we're not going to bow. We believe that God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we're not going to bow. Even though our lives are at stake here, even though we may die for our faith, in our God, we will not bow to that idol. And I would say to you this morning, don't bow to your storms. Are you hearing me? Don't bow to your storms. Don't give them more power than they should have in your life. Because what begins to happen when we bow to our storms and our circumstances that aren't going our way, we give them access into our lives to take power over our lives. And when that begins to happen, faith begins to leave and worry and fret come into our lives. And we forget that Jesus is still in the boat. I want you to realize this morning that Jesus is still in the boat in the boat. He has not left. He is not leaving. He can calm your storms. But even if your storm does not calm tomorrow, Jesus is still in the boat. I don't know. I'm preaching to myself right now, okay? I'm just going to talk to myself right now. Because we need to hear this. Because when you allow that fear and worry and anxiety to well up in your heart, you're giving more power to that thing than Jesus. And Jesus says, I will not share my power. I will not. God says, I will not share my glory. He said to Isaiah, you say this to my people. I will not share my glory with no other. And so that doesn't mean that Your trial or your circumstance is not easy or it's not hard or it's not difficult to go through. But I want you to realize that Jesus is still in the boat. And he wants you to put your faith and your trust in him. And he will see you through. The reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were so powerful in their lives is because they put their faith in the right thing. They put their faith in their God. Either way, we're not going to bow. Either way, I'm going to trust you for this very reason. Jesus, you conquered the grave. You conquered death. And I'm going to trust you because you are the all-powerful one. And so I'm going to lay this thing at your feet. And that's the reason why we come to the Lord's table, because we're recognizing that Jesus did everything for us, that he conquered our storms. He took on our sin. He died for those things. He rose from the grave to show that he indeed is God, that he conquered death. That he conquers our sin. that, That through his death on the cross, he is our substitute. He took our sins upon himself. We were dead in our transgressions. We were lifeless. We could not save ourselves. It was too overwhelming. And God sent his only son to die a death for you and I. That we could not die because we were not perfect and we were flawed. But he sent his flawless, perfect son to die a death For you and I to conquer the storms in your life. You have a savior who loves you, who cares for you, who wants you to trust him. Let faith arise. I love that song. Let faith arise. Put your faith in the right thing. And that's Jesus. He's still in the boat. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And I pray this morning as we take communion and we recognize this, that whatever you're going through today, whatever you're overwhelmed with today, whatever worry or anxiety has brought into your life today, I pray that you would lay that at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, you're greater, and I'm going to trust you today because I know you're a good God, and I know you're faithful, and I know you're still in the boat. So give me faith today to trust you. In this circumstance in my life. Amen. So let's pray. And the ushers are going to prepare themselves. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to take communion together. And um, so let's just pray and ask God just to give us his heart today and to allow us to trust him with our very lives. Amen. Let's pray together.